Sly Dog Music Cast. Now here's your host, the Sly Dog. Hello and welcome back to the Sly Dog Music Cast. I'm your host, Sly Dog, and I'm super excited to have a first-time guest. It's been a long time coming, though. He loves Ladies Night in Buffalo and going crazy from the heat. Ladies and gentlemen, from the Growing Up Rock podcast, Stephen Michael Chambers. How you doing? <laughs> bozy, bozy, bop, diddy, bop, Alex. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> I love it. We're here today to talk some uh, David Lee Roth, specifically the solo years. Um, I thought this would be a fun podcast to do because I was listening to Growing Up Rock recently and you guys were talking about summertime music. And you said one of the bands that make you, makes you think of summer the most is Van Halen. That's right. They're uh, they're the ultimate summertime backyard barbecue band, right? They are the, they created party metal, in my opinion. They definitely like if Van Halen doesn't happen, the rest of the 80s hard rock doesn't happen. Like I think that's, that's something we can agree on. Well, it might happen. It just might happen and look and sound a whole lot different because they were definitely sort of at that forefront and created a lot of, uh, we'll call them clones or pretend imitators, whatever you want to call it for sure, during that era. Right. A lot of offshoots kind of in that similar vein. So yep. yeah. I thought we could do, because recently I did an episode with a friend of mine, Chris Karam, on his podcast, where we went through the first uh, the first run of uh, David Lee Roth albums in Van Halen. And it kind of got me going back. I hadn't gone back to Van Halen in a minute. And in doing so, I was like, I want to pull out Dave's stuff. And I pulled it out, and I kind of was thinking about what a strange trajectory his solo career has. Um, unlike Sammy Hagar, who outside of Van Halen, you know, he was pretty well known. He had some hits when Dave stepped out of Van Halen, he had a moment. It seemed like he had a few hits, but he was never really, at least in my opinion, quite sure where he fit in outside of Van Halen. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that. I think he was sure of where he fit in. If you know anything about Dave and you've read any of the books, uh, Van Halen or David Lee Roth doesn't really matter. If you really examine Dave's origin, you'll, you'll understand his music better. And he's doing the music that is very Dave music. That's what he always wanted to do. That was what he was always about. And it has a lot of different flavors in there from, the Van Halen hard rock that you're used to, but you know, a lot of the vaudeville stuff and the big band stuff and all that stuff. That's Dave. That's his thing. Right. He he's a, he's the entertainer, so to speak. Yeah. He's the entertainer and he just, he has a lot of flavors. He can't, you know, I mean, his personality is he can't sit still for a minute. And I think, I mean, I don't know Dave Roth, but my, impression is, is that he's one of those dudes that that's mine like literally never sleeps it's always going and he's always thinking of stuff and you can kind of i mean you can kind of tell that from the interviews he does right he's sort of all over the place but dave is a smart guy i mean he's a well-read individual uh so i don't think he's you know he's just eccentric and um loves to talk he's got a huge ego and he's all over the place <laughs> and all of that makes for great podcasting so let's start at the beginning um I, i'm assuming we both kind of came to dave 
through Van Halen, but still talk about like when you discovered Van Halen and kind of your impressions of Dave as a front man. Yeah. So for me, Van Halen is my number one band where a lot of our friends are like kiss fanatics and that was it for them. I grew up a Van Halen fan from start to finish and not just a fan. I'm like a, a super Van Halen fan. So when you asked me to do these Dave records, I said, well, I think I said, I'm your guy, right? Because (laughs) anything Van Halen related is in my wheelhouse for the most uh, part. I, you know, I don't claim to know everything there is to know, but I know a whole, whole lot. So uh, yeah, Van Halen came to me growing up in the eighties around about the fair warning release. I spent a summer over at a buddy of mine's house for the most part, just like we had this, these wiffle ball games in the backyard and you had a pool and Van Halen's fair warning had come out. Now I'd heard Van Halen before this, you know, the really got me and ain't talking about love. I mean, I've heard other Van Halen songs, but none of them really like stuck or connected with me until this fair warning record came out. And I guess it was just the right timing age-wise and everything else for it to really connect with me. But he dropped the needle on that uh, fair warning record, and I heard Mean Street, and I was just like, what is that? I was all in. I saw Van Halen for the first time on the Diver Down tour in 82. Yeah, the Hide Your Sheep tour, as it was in 1982. And that was my first concert. And I was literally like, my parents let me go with a bunch of friends of mine. It was about an hour ride from the town we lived in. So we all carpooled over there and it was life-changing for me. I don't know any other way to say it, but, and you can go and you can watch video on YouTube, which is, this is the coolest thing about YouTube. I mean, there's, there's video from that tour. Uh, and it's, it's basically, I mean, it's the same show I saw. And I just, I remember, you know, the big smear at the beginning that Van Halen always did. And, you know, welcome Van Halen. I was like four rows back. Uh, in a general admission standing room only kind of kind of crowd you know because back then at least in the area that I lived in they were mostly general admission tickets they weren't they weren't seats on the floor there were never seats on the floor early on uh, at least not to my recollection but anyway 
there was no seats on the floor for this. It was a general admission standing room only crowd. They had seats up in the, you know, where they would normally have seats in the arena, but uh, I wasn't going to do that. So I was standing four rows back, sort of in between Ed and the center of the stage. And that spotlight hit Ed and he went into Romeo's delight, man. I was in, I was like, wow. Dave came out doing these roundhouse kicks and everything. And that was it for me. I was, I was sold. I was in, I was all in. And so that was my introduction to uh, Van Halen live Van Halen on album and just uh, being a huge fan. That's incredible. I love it. Uh, Obviously um, as I always say on these, I'm a little younger, so I came a bit later, but I remember the first, my first memories of Van Halen are seeing the videos on VH1 Classic, Jump, and uh, Hot for Teacher, and just thinking, this band is so much bigger than life. And then I remember around the time uh, the reunion with Sammy happened, there was that Best of Both Worlds compilation that came out, had, had some yep. new tracks on it. I remember my dad getting that and playing that a lot, and that was when I kind of went in a little deeper. And I started to wonder, because I, all I knew at that point was the Dave stuff. I didn't know that Sammy was in the band. I knew who Sammy Hagar was because my dad liked his solo music, but I didn't know that Sammy was in Van Halen. So I started to think being a younger kid, like I was probably like in third or fourth grade. I was like, well, there are solo Sammy Hagar albums. So are there David Lee Roth solo albums? And as I'm wondering this, I remember one day watching uh, Metal Mania the video for Just a Gigolo came on and it was Dave. And I was like, well, this is very different, but it's very funny. That video is hilarious. He's going through the different like popular music videos at the time. Like I know he goes through like Billy Idol's and Madonna's and Michael Jackson's <laughs> like, and, and there's just little like tweaks in them. Like it's the Billy Jean video, but whenever Michael steps on the wrong square, like the other one lights up or when he's in the Billy Idol video, Billy Idol gets electrocuted. <laughs> So I was like, okay, so he's being a bit of a goofball here. So then I remember asking my dad, like, hey, do you got any of the the Dave stuff, like that solo? And he gave me the uh, the best of uh, David Lee Roth solo cassette that he had on hand. And I remember listening to that and just kind of being amazed at, like, all of the, the breadth of styles there. And I thought that was kind of interesting. But I would later learn that, you know, this stuff, like his work outside of Van Halen, it really kind of had, like, a it burned bright at the beginning. And then kind of tapered off pretty hard after that, which I thought was really interesting. And listening to these albums, when I finally got them in full, you got a sense of like, wow, he was doing a lot of different stuff on all these, like whether it was kind of like swing tunes or country music, or when we get way later on, like some funk and some cool jazz almost. Like Dave was, it's kind of like you said at the beginning, like he had all these different personalities in him, but they're all Dave and they all feel genuine. Well, baby, I'm easy, I'm easy, I'm easy, I'm an easy man. Well, baby, I'm easy, I'm easy, I'm easy, I'm an easy man. So come on down and get me money while you can. Available, 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 I am free, I am. Available, 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 I am free, I am. Well, I just can't. 
I thought he was interesting, even though some of my other early exposure was watching videos of him on YouTube and kind of seeing the unfortunate uh, turn his voice took, you could say. But which it, it always baffled me because, like, I, I I think his voice is still there. I just don't know why he sings like like that. But I thought he was so cool, but a bit of an enigma. He's probably one of the most, you know, we talk about rock stars being mysterious and kind of being unknowable. He's probably the one of the ones that's the most like that. Like, we don't really know who Dave is. Like, he's he's Dave the character. Yeah, that's true. But Dave the character might be who he is. We don't know. Right. It, I mean, maybe he's maybe he's always on 10 like that. I really don't know. He does some I think he always seeks out new adventures or at least he did in the early days. I don't know what he does at these uh, in these older uh, years that he has. But, you know, like anybody else, they age. Certain things change. I mean, the guy's not going to sound like he was 21 now. And for the most part. It sounds like he, I mean, judging from all the singles that he's releasing lately and everything, it it sounds like, you know, he's just basically doing music that he wants to do. He's not yeah. holding true to any of the, you know, I got to put out a rock song or something like that. I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit, I don't think I'm baffled because I think I know why he's doing it, but I'm a little perturbed that he keeps releasing Van Halen songs re-recorded. I, yeah. I, I don't, I don't get that from a standpoint of, of I just, as a fan, I hate it, but as a business person, I know exactly why he's doing it because he's getting paid to do it. And when he re-records it and re-releases it, then it's, that money that's coming in from that is all his and he doesn't have to share it with uh, the Van Halen, you know, estate and Alex. And, uh, you know, so I, I think that's, that's what it comes down to, but I just, as a fan, I hate it because I think it, it, um, Oh, it, it just makes the legacy not look good overall. That's all. Yeah, I mean, not to get too in the music industry weeds of this, like, not to get too into my job, but my theory is he, like, and I think this is the reason a lot of people re-record their music is um, they don't own the old masters, and there is a thing called sync pitching where you can get your music placed in places. So if you have a good re-recorded sound alike, if someone were to go to Dave's camp, like, hey, you wrote Running With The Devil, we would like to use this in a movie, um, what do you say? He'd be like, he could maybe first go, uh, why don't you try my re-record? And that, that's usually what these artists do. And then nine times out of 10, they usually go, yeah, no, we, we would much prefer the original. So yeah, I think that's, that's my theory as to why he's doing that. So. Yeah. Uh, it's not a bad theory. Not yeah. a bad theory. But uh, yeah, that, so to kind of move forward, you were, you, you were in there early on before, before the splits. Um, 85 rolls around. I believe that's kind of when, when all things start to shake up and the band splinters off after 1984. And the first the first one we're going to talk about, which we'll get to in a second, actually came out before the, the split was officially announced. Do you remember at the time, like, was Van Halen going on hiatus? Like, or, like, were there any, like, rumblings like, oh, Dave's doing a solo career now? I saw the 84 tour. 
and I think I saw, I think I saw it fairly early on in the tour. So, you know, that was a long, extensive tour that they did for 1984. And so I think it was just a break in the cycle, uh, was my recollection, uh, you know, because they did the tour, then you have a break in the cycle, then you start working on a new album, start working on new material, record the new album, put out the new album, go tour again, right? That's the cycle. Yep. So my recollection was they were on a tour break, taking a break, and they were somewhat working on new material, getting ready to start seriously thinking about working on new material. That was my recollection uh, of when that time frame came. And I remember, you know, them releasing uh, this solo thing, but, uh, you know, I'll let you ask questions, but, uh, I, you know, I didn't think much about it at the time, basically. Right. Well, uh, the first release we're going to talk about today, released January 28th, 1985, produced by Ted Templeman. The Crazy from the Heat, David Lee Roth, EP. of cover tunes that was originally intended to go with a film which something i learned getting ready for this that doesn't surprise me given like all those music videos we're going to talk about today always kind of seem to have some kind of skit thematic element to it so the fact that he was thinking about a movie doesn't surprise me um and it came out while he was still in van halen which is interesting um this is a strip i'm sure at the time probably seemed strange to a lot of people because this is not really a hard rock release it's you've got an edgar winter cover you've got a louis prima cover a beach boys cover and 11 spoonful cover so you're kind of going into dave's show tuny area maybe the edgar winter song is probably the closest to a rock song maybe a beach boys one could be too but uh california girls and just a gigolo were singles and they both did fairly well uh what what are your thoughts on this one well when it came out i just remember thinking okay this is just kind of a a joke type thing i mean the videos were funny right yeah uh he had a great thing for funniness at the time i don't recall it being said that this was an ep that was going to go along with the movie now much later on when i was digging into bi biographies and stuff like that i i did understand that and in fact my understanding is that they were pretty far along in the script process for this movie. Like this movie was pretty much going to get made. And then there was wow. a, there was a blowout with uh CBS or somebody like that. Sony pictures, something like that. I don't, there's a lot of information I think in the Ted Templeman book about it. 
Uh, I, I've never read Dave's biography, at least not yet, uh, but I've read pretty much everything else around it. Uh, and so I just sort of wrote it off as a, as a joke thing. I thought, yeah, okay. California girls is kind of a cool remake. It's, it's all right. And, uh, that's because I like the beach boys and the rest of it is just kind of a joke. You know, that, that was my recollection. I didn't think, oh my God, Dave's leaving the band. I didn't think, oh my God, Van Halen's going to be pissed at this. I just, I didn't think about any of that stuff. I was just like, yeah, that's great, Dave. That's Dave being Dave. When's the new, when's the new Van Halen record coming out? That was, that was my headspace at the time. Yeah. I, I could see that. Uh, I just, I can I cannot imagine like, like you just had, you know, all these great rock records and this one comes out and it's like, yeah, you, you, you kind of not sure what to think of it because it is very different. I will say like, I've listened to the, I listened to the EP this week and I listened to the, the original versions of these songs, very close to the originals. Like Dave doesn't change much up. Like that Edgar winter cover, easy street. That's almost uh like a note for note recreation and you've even got edgar winter playing on it like it really sounds like almost like his song but with dave singing on it the only dead giveaway is the 80s production So my understanding is uh, Edgar kind of led the group of musicians in the studio for this uh, EP. You know, Ted Templeman is the one that got he and Dave together was my understanding. And Ted was basically the one that, from what I understand, Ted was the one that kind of pushed Dave to do this EP. Ted said that, you know, it, Ted was like the head of, a and R, I think, or one of the vice presidents at Warner Brothers at the time. And so as do most record company executives, it's all about how can I make it more money, right? So he had a commodity in Dave Roth and Van Halen was on break. His thought was, let me put this four song EP together with Dave. We'll put it out there. It'll keep Dave in the public. It'll keep Van Halen name in the public while they're taking a break and that's it according to ted, ted templeman he never would have done this if he thought it was gonna endanger the van halen thing yeah. he he would have never pushed dave this direction that's all hearsay that's all what i've read yeah. in that situation uh and of course we know the rest of the story 
uh, and how it ended up. So I don't know. Yeah. Well, it this one I'll say like there's something on here that really like offends me, but um, I will say my highlight. I'm gonna my pick for this one is gonna be uh, just a gigolo. I think that's a fun cover and the video like it's always tied to that in my mind. would be my my highlight um i also did coconut grove i think coconut grove is pretty well done again it's very close to the original but dave sings it well um the other two tracks are great too but i will admit they are kind of close to karaoke almost at some point it's like especially california girls that one really really sounds like the same to me almost as the beach boys one there's little differences but yeah my, my highlight is going to be just a gigolo what's your pick uh, so my highlight is California girls. He does play it close to the vest, but the video, the combination of the video and Dave's voice to me adds a new flavor to that song, just a new sort of fun flavor to that song. And it's sort of, I mean, come on, it's kind of perfect for David Lee Roth, right? California girls. And so I really, really enjoy that song. Uh, and I think songs like just a gigolo are definitely fun. If I had to, none of the stuff, first of all, none of the stuff on this EP offends me. Just like you said, I, I kind of, it's all fun to me. If I had to pick a song that was my least favorite or the one I would least like to hear out of these, it would probably be coconut grove just because I don't know. It just has sort of a, um, uh slower type weird tempo for me and it's just kind of moody and i don't know it just doesn't do that much for me uh but the rest of it is is definitely fun interesting yeah great picks um so yeah crazy from the heat interesting start for, interesting taster for things to come soul platinum but uh i think the real dave striking on his own out on his own is next so between the ep and the next album uh, Dave's out of Van Halen. Um, one thing I read is that he called Dave called the songs that Van Halen was working on at the time morose, <laughs> which is interesting because like 5150 is not really a morose album, but like I, I always kind of wonder what he meant that like that. Is it just because it's kind of Cynthia and a little slower? Like wh what does he mean morose? <laughs> I don't know. Here's what I can tell you at the time that all this stuff was going on. There was a lot of mud being slung. 
So I think both sides were saying shit that they didn't necessarily believe. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I'll, I'll take anything that was said during that time period with a grain of salt. I know that Dave, I think Dave was out of Van Halen within 12 weeks after this EP was released. Oh, wow. And I'll say this as well. If California Girls isn't a hit, because it was pretty much a hit on MTV and it was a hit song, you know, remake, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if that doesn't work, if that's nowhere near and it flops, is Dave still in Van Halen? I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm playing what ifs here, right? Yeah, that is interesting. Uh, Cause the band never could get along, right? Dave and, and the, the brothers were always at odds. They never wanted Dave in the band to begin with. They never wanted him in the band when he begged to be in the band way back when they were mammoth. So, <laughs> you know, this is just something that, uh, living that many years with, uh, an ego and, you know, but I think it, I think Dave was a necessary evil to the Van Halen brothers, uh, you know, creative musical genius, at least Edwards musical genius. So I think that it absolutely had to happen regardless of what people say, uh, in order for Van Halen to be what they were. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I definitely imagine around that time, like I can only imagine if like if Facebook and the Internet existed in that time, the articles, the clickbait that would have existed around this breakup would have been insane. I just I remember as a kid, uh, you know, and I say kid, you know, I don't know uh, how old I was, I guess. And, and at that time I was 18, 19 years old or whatever, but Van Halen was my all-time favorite group. So I remember when I heard about the bro the breakup, I was heartbroken. I mean, I was I was bummed out about that because this is like the first really major band breakup I can remember as a kid growing up of bands that I liked, at least for me. Uh, that's what what it harpens back to. And uh I just man, that sucked. <laughs> so so before we go into the next one were you someone like some people were very much either team van halen or team dave some people were down the middle with both did did you cut were you kind of one or the other at the time or were you very much interested to see where both sides went i was interested to see where both sides went uh for sure I wasn't very excited about Sammy being in Van Halen because I remember there was a rift between Sammy and Dave while Dave was still in Van Halen. I, I remember that they traded back insults a few times in the press. So I wasn't very high on Sammy Hagar. I liked some of his solo music, but I wasn't that high on him, you know? And so when he was asked to join Van Halen, I was kind of upset about that. And I was kind of like, oh, this is going to suck. So I do remember at that point being a little bit more pro Dave than pro Van Halen, if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. And and I was more excited about Edom and Smile coming out than I was 5150 coming out. And for the longest time, I, you know, I was, I, I wasn't into Van Halen, uh, for the longest time after that, 
uh, it took years for me to kind of grow up and, and start accepting music for music and not for the personalities behind it. And, uh, now I'm, I'm good with it all, you know, more music for me. Yeah. I will say though, Dave definitely gave them, did come back guns blazing. He puts together a super amazing band. You've got Billy Sheehan on bass. You got Greg Bissonette on drums and Steve Vai on lead guitar. And on July 7th, 1986, we got the massive, the incredible, the outstanding, and one of my favorite albums ever, Eat Him and Smile. This is, if you want to know who Dave is, you could listen to the first, first Van Halen album, but I think if you really want to know who Dave is, like, this is the album to listen to. It's got everything I think of when I think of him. You've got hard rockers like Yankee Rose, and Shy Boy, and Bump and Grind. You've got some kind of silly vaudeville in I'm Easy and That's Life. You've got some kind of cool laid back stuff like Ladies Night in Buffalo. And you got some fun pop songs like Going Crazy. Um, Yankee Rose was a top 40 hit. It got to number 16, which is amazing. Um, yeah, this album just like, I love 5150, but man, this, this definitely gives it a run for its money. This is a great, great record. Um, and I'm sure you were ecstatic when this one came out. Yeah, I loved it from the get go. I mean, the first single they release is Yankee Rose and they put out that brilliant video with the, I don't know two minute intro to the video that <laughs> yeah. was absolutely hilarious and brilliant. I mean, yeah, it was fantastic. I was on board for sure. And I knew it helped that I knew who Steve Vai and Sheehan was before they joined the band. Like oh, wow. I was, I was familiar with Billy Sheen from Talis and I was familiar with Steve Vai because I had like, you know, the flexible record and I had been reading guitar player magazine and stuff. So I, I already knew a little bit about, uh, Steve by, even though I was never a, a Zappa fan, so to speak, but, um, you know, I, I, I knew a lot of his solo type stuff, uh, from that period of time. Yeah. Let's hit some of those highlights, man. Uh, starting with Yankee Rose, like you said, the video iconic, 
and I love uh, his song opens with kind of, I imagine Dave is kind of like laying in a gutter and he's like talking to a guitar and he's like why oh let me roll up on the sidewalk and take a look oh she's beautiful like just like t- like kind of like leering at this woman from the gutter and it's just so wonderfully Dave and you're kind of immediately know like okay this is gonna be good I, I, the hairs on my arm are standing up thinking about the beginning of the song it's so good yeah it's fantastic for sure nice and then shy boy that's a high 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 point that's you, you get some kind of eddie van halen tapping in that one and that's actually from billy sheehan's old band talus Yes, it is. I have it on an old Talus record, as a matter of fact. So I knew that song before it was on Dave's uh, record. I didn't know they actually. I didn't know Talus actually released uh, any albums. I thought. Uh, I kind of thought they like al- they almost got to like you know that point and never put anything out. No, no, they they had an album out early on in the uh, shoot in the eighties, I think. Hmm. I I actually have that record. Let me see if I can pull that up real quick uh yeah sink your teeth into that is the name of the record huh. interesting um yeah and uh going crazy um i think that's the perfect pop song um I- i'm surprised that wasn't the bigger bigger hit on the album because to me that's just i don't know that's just a perfect like david lee roth summertime song it's so so cool when we talk about summertime songs on the uh growing up rock episode this is one that got omitted for me because i think i've talked about this song before a few different times on the <laughs> on the growing up rock podcast but this song to me is it's it's on every one of my summer uh playlist because i love this song for summer so much <laughs>
this is a good good album like if it's hot out like it literally like i feel like i can smell the lake where i grew up when i hear this album sometimes <laughs> like it's that wired into my brain does it smell like a ladies night in buffalo <laughs> nice um and what one more tobacco road i always loved that one and for the longest time i didn't know that was a cover and the funny way that i found out it was a cover was it was a it was in 2017 edgar winner was opening for alice cooper and he starts playing this slow blues number and i'm like wait wait a minute that's that's tobacco road he's covering a david lee ross song and then i googled it and i was like oh no that's an old blues standard <laughs> i had no idea for the longest time like that was a that was like an old blues song i thought that was a dave original yeah it's actually uh the original very slowed down isn't it yeah Some other uh, fun little notes here. Uh, Jesse Harms plays keyboards on the album, and he would go on to be in Sammy Hagar and the Wabos, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, and the other one is, uh, I think the closing on the album, That's Life, I think that's a perfect ending. Uh, just kind of Dave just going like, hey, you know, I'm going to be okay. You know, I may be out of Van Halen, but Dave's going to be fine. Yeah, that's right. Did you, uh, have you heard the... Um before I, we talk about some of my favorites and least favorites, have you heard the Spanish version of this record? I have not. I've always, uh, like, that's something I've meant to listen to. I just never got around to it. Have you? Yeah, I've, I've uh, surfed around on it a bit. I mean, it's fun. It, yeah. Oddly enough, it adds like a little bit of extra summertime flavor to it <laughs> <laughs> because you think of Mexico, you know, so it's yeah. kind of like, uh it's yeah it's interesting for sure yeah all right what's some of your highlights all right so some of my highlights again i'll uh reiterate yankee rose just is an unbelievable probably one of his top five songs easily right mm -hmm. as a solo artist just a fantastic song again going crazy it's on every one of my summer playlists 
one that I really like that I know some people don't like. I love Elephant Gun. I think it's killer. I think it's like heart punching two minutes and 26 seconds of in your face. And I dig it. So Elephant Gun is definitely one of my favorites. definitely got to put a clip of that in there now that's a good one um as far as like this is a hard probably the hardest record we'll talk about today to pick a low point on because i i love all of these and this is an album that you know i listen to it in its entirety there's no skippers but if i have to pick one i guess i'm going to go with big trouble just because that's probably the one i remember the least yeah it's funny because Big Trouble for me has a nice groove to it, so I don't hate it. If I have to pick a least favorite, and it, again, it's not something that offends me, but I'm a Roth fan because I like to rock, right? Yeah. I mean, I grew up on the Van Halen, so when Roth ventures off into these other worlds, I get it, I know it, I understand it, but I don't got to like it all. And so I prefer That's Life over i'm easy and also i don't really love the fact that i'm easy is the number three song in the in the um rotation of this record so to me that's something like do we really need two songs on a 30 minute album like that do we need i'm easy and that's life on this record uh and you have a the other thing that I'm going to criticize just a bit is so you kick off with the amazing Yankee Rose, you go into a barn burner like shy boy, and then you draw it so far back to I'm easy to me is a little weird. And then you drop it even further down and go into sort of the moody, slower ladies night in Buffalo. And it's not that I don't like I'm Easy and not that I don't like Ladies Night in Buffalo, but to me, that just really, I mean, it's the number three and four song on a 30-minute album. I personally don't love that about this record. Uh, and that's just my criticism. Whereas the second side, the second side flows pretty well, right? It opens up with Tobacco Road kicks ass into elephant gun you have big trouble which still is kind of grinding and then you really have a, a groove oriented song in bump and grind and then you end with that's life and to me side two flows much better than side one that's just my opinion i i think i i think i'm gonna have to agree with you there yeah 
Um, it, I do. I did always find it strange going into "I'm Easy" that early on the album. Um, I like it, but I see. I see what you mean. It definitely you come out of like a like the barn burner that is "Shy Boy," and all of a sudden it's like almost like a jazz, jazzy like swing thing going on there. So yeah, I I totally see what you mean. That's a valid criticism. Very nice. Yeah, and do you agree? Like in a thirty-minute album, do we really need "I'm Easy" and "That's Life"? Yeah, I've always wondered why three covers on the album. Um, we we probably could have <laughs> we probably could have got by. Like I don't want it any shorter, but yeah, could have maybe thrown on another original. I mean, look, the cover thing—that's Van Halen, right? I mean, yeah. Van Halen has sort of been doing that, but I that. It's not even really that that bothers me, especially because just like people like yourself, right? No, nobody knew Tobacco Road was a was a cover song. A lot of people didn't know that for a long time, right? Uh, and I'm probably guilty of that. I'm not sure I knew that was a cover song at the very beginning. Um, but you know, just I don't know. When you got a 30 minute album, uh, it needs to flow better for me personally, and that's just me being nitpicky. I still love this album. Uh, but if I'm producing, it's a little bit different. Nice. Well, I think we can both agree this is still this is probably like the high point of the catalog. Um, and if you haven't heard this and you're a Van Halen fan, you are definitely doing yourself a disservice. Um, I did want to ask you, did you see this tour? I did see the Eat em and Smile tour. Yes, I did. I think it was one of, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast. This is one of the loudest freaking concerts I've ever been to. Holy crapola. My ears were ringing for two days after this concert. And it was, it was, uh, uh, it was Cinderella opening up for, uh, David Lee Roth. Oh, wow. So I got, yeah, I got Cinderella on the, that'd be nice. Was, was it night songs or long cold winter? I can't remember. I feel like 86 were still in night songs. It might have been. I don't know. It was the first time I saw Cinderella, and I already knew who they were from the album, so it was killer. It was a great build for me. I loved it. Uh, and I and for some reason, I almost want to say there was a third band on the bill, but I actually think that I'm getting that mixed up with the time that I saw like Cinderella Winger and Slaughter or something. Cinderella, Cinderella Winger and Bullet Boys, maybe, I think was another tour that I saw. But uh, I think it was just Cinderella. Cinderella and David Lee Roth on the Eat em and Smile tour. That's that, what I saw. That's a hell of a show. Wow. I, yeah. I, bet that, I bet that was awesome. And what a band, too. Like, that would probably be, like, the band, like, the solo band of his I would have most liked to see is that original lineup. It just sound the idea of it sounds ferocious to me. And yeah, so they, they were. They were so killer and so full of energy all over the place, man, because Billy and, and uh, Vi, they moved around a lot. And then you had Dave in the middle as the master of ceremonies. It was it was killer. <laughs> so one thing we're going to notice as the, as these tours go on, like we're going to get introduced to a little more showmanship and props. Did, did that start to pop up in this tour or was it mostly just kind of him and the band rocking out? Uh, so my, my recollection was, I don't remember a whole lot of stuff from that tour other than like the ridiculous, huge stage and lighting rig and everything. Uh, I don't remember a whole bunch of props. I could be wrong, but you know, my memory is not quite what it used to be that <laughs> long ago. That was a long time ago, my friend. 
so yeah, and and uh, quick note: this would be the last time that I saw David Lee Roth live for a very, 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 very long time. Oh wow! Uh, because I did not see any of the um, following tours after this. Oh wow! Like for for any of the rest of the albums we're going to talk about. Uh, no. Yeah, oh, correct. Wow. Okay. Yep. Interesting. All right. Well, I'll wrap up Eaterman's Fall by saying pretty perfect album, the best Van Halen album that isn't a Van Halen album. So listen, if you haven't, uh, that album goes platinum, does really well for Dave. And um, in on January 25th, 1988, we get Skyscraper. probably the weirdest one for me getting ready for this it's the album i knew the least um and i'm not sure why i avoided this one for so long i think there's a little bit of a this this one has a bit of a reputation for being a little more synthy a little more glossy and the the big hit from this album just like paradise definitely kind of has that in spades it's a very clean 80s production with synth bass and everything so i think i kind of always avoided this this one kind of maybe at my own peril because there there is some cool stuff here but after eat him and smile this i could see how this one was a bit of a letdown for some people like what what were your thoughts thoughts at the time did you love this one or were you kind of like ooh, this isn't as good as the last one no this was a letdown for me for a couple different reasons so i heard about the turmoil within the band sheen left the band they released Just Like Paradise as the first single. I didn't love this Just Like Paradise at the time that they released it. I just thought it was like, meh. I just, I wasn't into it. It was very keyboard heavy. Uh, and, you know, go figure, it was co-written by Brett Tuggle, who's the keyboard player in the band at the time. So uh, I just didn't, yeah, I wasn't a huge fan and sort of, I stay. I won't say I stayed away from this record completely, but I definitely sort of stayed away. And things were changing for me at the time. You know, a lot of music was changing. My, I was moving 
you know, moving on and moving out and moving to a big city and just a lot was changing for me personally. And, you know, bands like, uh, bands like Guns N' Roses were surfacing at this time. So, you know, I was all in with the Guns N' Roses record and that was raw and that was nasty and it was rough and hard and it was just, it was killer. And that was not what this record was, right? So I was sort of putting away the old and moving on to the new, if that makes sense. Yeah, I totally see what you mean. You were at a different spot in your life. And so was Dave in a way. Like, I, I, I'm i not sure. I'd, lo- I'd love to know for sure why he made the move that he did here. Like, for starters, this is not produced by Ted Templeman. It's produced by Dave and Steve. So you got a different production team there. And... um you got Dave being a little more uh, left field here, like not just not just overproduced, like left field. Like you got a song like uh, the title track, Skyscraper, which is very psychedelic, a lot of bouncing vocals and kind of trippy things going on there. You have a more acoustic thing in Damn Good, and you've got almost like a dance track with Stand Up. So yeah, it's it's very it's very strange. But I do think buried in in this production, there are some songs here that um that that are really good and do ha- kind of have like the Dave you know buried in there. But it's kind of underneath all this uh all this extra production. Like Knuckle Bones, I think is a pretty good opener uh to the record. Like and Dave's you know voice is kind of in good form there. I like Hot Dog and a Shake a lot. I think that's probably the most Van Halen like song on the album. I think that's a great, great song. I love Dave's voice on there. And it's kind of interesting because he's reflecting at that point in his life. It's been 10 years since the first Van Halen album. So it's, he's kind of in a reflective mood there. And I think that's really cool. I also love Steve's kind of uh, acoustic playing on that track. Yeah. So for me, uh, no matter what it sounded like when we first started talking about this record, where I kind of said, ah, I sort of stayed away, I moved on. This is a record that really grew old well with me personally. And what I mean by that is it's a record that I sort of went back to long after its release, like long after its release, you know. (laughs) Um, And there is a lot of great stuff on here now. It's different. Yeah, I get it. But think about Dave at this time. Dave can't win for losing. If he does a bunch of Van Halen songs, you know, uh, Van Halen type songs, then people, the critics say, oh, he's just trying to, he's just trying to relive the past. He's just trying to, he's playing too much, too close to Van Halen. 
he doesn't win that way. And then if he goes totally right field and, and just like, you know, turns into a disco record or a dance record or a big band record, he can't win that way either. So to me, this record is still very much Dave Roth, right? It has that flavor, uh, especially in a lot of the lyrics and stuff. And one thing that I think gets missed a lot is songs like damn good. Dave really does this type song pretty well. I mean, right. he's, he sings it well. I love damn good. I think it's a fantastic song. Time rolls on That's as it should be Here and gone Seems to move so Right here on her Yeah, we were laughing as we reached for the stars And we had some For what it was worth Those were good times Damn good times Those were good times Damn good times But songs like this, I'll go back to the Diver Down record. I absolutely love Secrets, which is another song that's sort of in this vein, right? Yeah. These slower, um, thoughtful kind of lyrics uh more sung as opposed to screamed uh rock lyrics i just think you know for all the shit that dave gets for not being able to sing i get it i understand i saw i i've seen the live shows i've been there for the live video i get it i i'm <laughs> i got you i'm not mad at you i understand sammy's a better technical singer i got you i get it but this type stuff, uh, I think D Dave really does sing well. His voice has a, a unique quality to it and a unique sort of tone to it. And also, I'll say this, for all the shit that Dave gets about singing, any cover band with a fantastic singer that redoes a Van Halen song, it never sounds the same. It never quite sounds right. So Dave technically proficient or not has a quality to his voice, a smokiness to his voice, a way of singing that is truly only David Lee Roth. Right. I was going to say, it's almost like a reckless abandoned singing approach. Like, yeah, not, I don't think he's afraid to flub a note. And uh, uh, most, most singers kind of, we like, I I've sang in bands myself. We have a little bit of fear of like flubbing that up and, Dave doesn't have that. So he'll make a weird noise and it'll sound cool. But, and it just has the smoky 
uh, tone to it. It has this nice sort of pleasant feel to the voice in certain in certain songs. You know, I I, I oh, get yeah. it. There's there's some songs that he maybe doesn't sound that great on. I get that, but uh, a lot of the stuff and damn good one of them uh, mm-hmm. to me. And it's in the studio. Like if he was going to recreate this live, probably wouldn't be the same. I got that too. But uh, I like, just like Paradise, I've found a new respect for. That's another great summer song. Uh, I think it's fantastic, fun summer song. And, uh, you know, you mentioned Hot Dog and a Shake. I think Stand Up is great. Um, So, you know, there's some good stuff on this thing. Two Fools a Minute's fun it's 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 goofy but it's fun you know so there's some good stuff on this for sure yeah yeah it 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 rewards with repeated listens and i think it probably will for me over time i think the reason like i'm so kind of weird on this one is my dad did not have this on cassette in the house so i didn't hear this until a couple years ago so it's still kind of feels almost foreign to me in a way like i just knew the songs that were on that best of so um yeah it's it's an interesting album and yeah yeah, worth revisiting if you haven't in a while i think i will say if i had to pick a low point um i'm gonna go with uh and again it's not even like kind of like last album it's not that bad it's just the one i remember the least and i'm gonna go with perfect timing for me being my low point here yeah so for me uh so highlights for me knuckle bones just like paradise damn good talked about those earlier my low point for this uh record i had to kind of go through a couple of times and the song that i don't i don't like the flavor of it it doesn't feel great to me is skyscraper the title track it feels a little funky to me so uh that was the one for me that was i kind of went back and forth i didn't love uh hina either but yeah uh but i listened to those two back to back and i was like ah you know what skyscraper's the one that's kind of not hitting home for me right now so uh that was the one for me i would probably of those two give the nod to hina as well honestly especially i i, I liked his delivery on the chorus i know it's just the word hina but yeah. i don't know it's catchy so, yeah but yeah this was kind of also the end of that classic band uh like you said she ends out I think she ends out before the tour, but I'm pretty sure Vi was on the tour for this album, if I'm remembering correctly. Um, I think he was possibly out before the tour started, maybe. Vi um, was Sheehan. Uh, no, no, Sheehan was definitely gone. Vi, uh, I'm not sure, did the tour, and if he did, maybe he only did half the tour or something. Okay. Kind of, yeah. kind of like a Dio Sacred Heart thing, where Craig Goldie comes in halfway through. Yeah, that was my recollection anyway, but uh, I'm pretty sure uh, that was the case. Yeah. Well, he did get his biggest solo hit out of this one, just like Paradise got to number six on the charts, and it's the one, it's the one song that, as I was getting ready to do this this week, other than like the cover of California Girls, that my wife knew she remembered just like Paradise from. Uh, the rock of ages movie so that that popped out at her when i was getting ready for this so there is there are some songs that kind of stick around from this one but it's kind of definitely this the cracks start to show here mm-hmm. in dave outside of van halen like it's kind yeah. of the first time that like he's made a a slight misstep yep but fascinating nonetheless 
Um, so let's fast forward a couple years to 1991. Things are changing. Um, uh, grunge is starting to creep its way in. But January 15th, 1991, we get a little ain't enough. guitar for this one and he has a bit of a sad story he was kind of this shredder guy from what i understand i didn't look at too much of his stuff before dave but i do know he had some solo records amazing guitar player but as they started to make the album he was diagnosed with lou gehrig's disease and uh he was not able to do the tour but he was able to complete the album and put some really cool like eddie van halen style solos on some of these songs like it's Showtime. Again, that's a really a song that gets really close to something that could have been on a Van Halen album. It's so, so cool. But there was that. And there was also uh, Steve Hunter playing guitar on this album, which is interesting. Um, I like this one quite a bit. I've always had a soft spot for this one. I think it's a little bluesier and almost a little bit uh, Southern rock at times. Like some of the guitar playing on this album really reminds me of ZZ Top. Uh, so I think it's a fascinating record but i think at the time things were changing and this was kind of his first one that didn't quite measure up to the ones before what do you remember at the time all right so i'll fill in some of the gaps so this one i'll call this uh record uh the hidden gem out of the first four records because it's one that not a lot of people talk about it wasn't hugely successful and after um after Skyscraper, for me, I felt like this was a little bit of a return to form. So Vi's out, Billy Sheehan's out. He goes out and he gets Jason Becker. Jason Becker, Yari mentioned his sort of the sad story that's tied to Jason Becker. This, he gets diagnosed with this basically in the middle of recording this record. And he makes it through the entire recording process of this record. But that's it for him. He can't do the tour, and he just progresses downhill from there. Jason Becker's history is that he was part of C Cacophony, which was this L.A. duo. Uh, the other part of Cacophony was Marty Friedman, who you've heard oh, of, okay. who was in Megadeth. This is kind of the beginning of Marty Friedman as well. 
so they were in cacophony. They were building quite a name for themselves in uh, Cal- California, Hollywood, uh, along with uh, like guys uh, from Racer X and uh, Paul Gilbert, those guys. So that was, uh, it was part of Shrapnel Records, who you're probably familiar with or have heard in the past, Mike Varney, uh, that whole thing. So that's where Jason Becker comes from, right? Great guitar ace, up and coming young kid, killer. Great, great decision. Get him in the band. They put this record out. Bob Rock produced this record yeah. uh, up in Little Mountain uh, in Vancouver. I thought this record sounded great. The first single they released, A Little Ain't Enough, oddly enough, written by Robbie Neville, co-written by Robbie Neville and David Lee Roth, which is a little bit, that's an interesting writing duo, I should say. Oh, yeah. But I loved A Little Ain't Enough. And this record has some great stuff on it. Some of the guitar work, I encourage people to go, uh, if you want to know about a little bit more about Jason Becker, go and watch. There's somewhere on YouTube, uh, some guitar player breaks down the song a little ain't enough. And he shows you like all these little things that you might not catch just listening to the song. And it's fantastic. Some of the guitar work that's just in that song alone by Jason Becker is fantastic. So go I don't, I don't know, Google a little ain't enough song breakdown and see what comes up. Uh, but it's some guitar player that break, breaks down that song on YouTube, and it's really cool. Anyway, uh, to me, songs like A Little Ain't Enough, Lady Luck, which was co-written by Greg Gold, uh, Craig Goldie. Uh, I love It's Showtime. Uh, I was working for a band at the time that was playing in clubs and they were sort of a a Van Halen type band. We used to open up with that song, not, not a plane, but that was the intro tape that would play before the band hit the stage. Because it was perfect. It got the crowd going and and the theme of it, right? It's showtime. Yep. Uh, so just really, really, I dig that tune a lot. And uh, that's probably not a surprise because I am a Van Halen fan. Uh, but there's just so much good stuff on this record. And people don't talk about it a lot. That's why I say personally, it's kind of like a little uh, 
uh, hidden gem of the first four Dave records, in my personal opinion. My favorites on this uh, record are It's Showtime, A Little Ain't Enough, and A Fantastic Lady Luck. favorite on this record is probably going to be the really over bluesy tell the truth and it's not a bad song it's it's steve hunter probably uh just laying down the grooves really well and uh i just you know it's it's okay it's just sort of long that's all that song it's interesting you pick that one as your least favorite because that's the one i've always thought feels we, we talk about the flow of an album being important like that coming out of hammerhead shark that one always kind of like gets me a little bit like oh like because one of my favorites is hammerhead shark uh i love that song i think it's kind of silly but it's very it's very dave in the vocal delivery some of the stuff he's doing before the guitar solo watch me now watch me now here i come it's so <laughs> it's so silly i love it nah, 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 johnny was fed, like the drink and fight and he reached big hell every saturday night where the sheriff found him nearly broken said to Johnny, well, I think I know who. If you have two black knives, a skin like bugs, you must have rumbled it up with the hammerhead shark. But but all I was going to say is that, yeah, I see what you're saying, but tell tell the truth comes in the number five slot. So you're getting a little ain't enough shoot it, Lady Luck and Hammerhead Shark before that, that slows it down a little bit, which I don't, I mean, I don't think that's too bad. It, it is, it, it, I don't know, it's always felt kind of suddenly like, ooh, it's like, like, a, like a slow burn. Sudden. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't really dislike, dislike uh, tell the truth though. 
but yeah. hammerhead shark's great i i agree with you 100 percent. literally enough that's a fun that's a fun song controversial music video from what i heard but i couldn't find out why like i just read that mtv banned that video for some reason so not sure what, which what video was that a little ain't enough uh yeah my recollection of that video i don't remember that video having anything crazy on it i remember it having a big monster truck at the beginning and yeah dave yeah. i don't i don't remember anything crazy in that video yeah that's just a strange thing i saw on wikipedia i, I was like i wonder how much uh truth there is to that so yeah and it's funny watching that video because at the end of it uh it's like david lee roth the final tour in like 2021 and it's out front of the anaheim like arena and dave gets out of this like space car and he's like all all fat and stuff i, I just thought that was kind of hilarious and then i think in 2021 he did announce like a farewell run that never really uh got off the ground i believe but just an interesting thing there you wonder how how much planning went into that um i think shoot it's great mm -hmm. um and of the bluesy tunes between tell the truth and the other one i gotta go with the other one i love sensible shoes i think that is great i love the groove on that one i love the harmonica playing on that one mm -hmm. um i don't know if it was dave playing it but i could very easily see him like standing at the mic stand here song um least favorite it's, it's tough but uh I, i'm gonna go with um last call because to me that sounds too much like walk this way when you hear that riff it sounds a lot like walk this way by aerosmith yeah big time i i knew that right away and what's funny about last call is that it's written by matt and greg bissonette right uh mm -hmm and Roth and, and Brett Tuggle, but there's a fifth writer, fifth writer on it named rocket ricochet. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I would like the name rocket ricochet. How cool is that? Right. What a, what a great stage name that is. <laughs> and, and for your information, Dave does play harmonica on sensible shoes. So oh, uh, that cool. is, that is Dave's plan. Nice. Yeah. The gypsy said the problem with you, you need some sensible shoes. That just that sounds like some kind of like advice he would impart somehow. Like, you know, when he says those like wonderful, strange things in interviews, that sounds like something like, hey, you need some sensible shoes, man. Rothisms. We yeah. call them Rothisms. <laughs> that is definitely a Rothism. <laughs> um, but this is the first album. This doesn't go platinum. It goes gold. But uh, from what I understand, the tour for this album was quite rough. 
Um, it did well overseas, but then he moved to the U.S. and um, it was supposed to be a co-headline run with Cinderella. And uh, from what I've read, a lot of shows got canceled due to tickets not selling. And he had like a big production for this tour. He had like a boxing ring in the middle of the arena. He had like this inflatable microphone he would ride ride around on. Yeah. He had a surfboard he would fly across across the arena on. So he put a lot into the show, but it just the the times had changed, unfortunately. Yeah, he lost a bunch of money on this tour, and like I said, I never saw the tour myself personally. But uh, just it's it's too bad because if you're not fam- if you're listening to this uh, podcast and this rundown, if you haven't. Uh, gotten this record or at least gone on whatever streaming service and listened to it, I highly encourage you to do it because it really is sort of a hidden gem in records for me personally. It's just a a good sort of untalked about DLR record. It definitely is. You, If you haven't heard it, go check it out. And if you maybe not heard it in a while, go check it out as well. You might be surprised. At, there, there's some stuff here you might be missing in your uh, David Lee Roth Van Halen playlist life. So yeah. yeah. And, and and before we move on, I'm going to get this real quick plug in because we're not talking about it today. There's a record out there that came after the next record we're going to talk about, which is called just called DLR Band. Uh, and that record is killer. Like if you've not heard that record or heard of that record, go get that record because that record's phenomenal. That's a rocking record. He's got John Five on guitar, and John Five, I think, did a lot of co-writing with him, and it's just a great record, uh, that that DLR band. That's all I'm going to say about that one because we're not talking about that record in this conversation today. So, yeah. But I wanted to get that quick plug in there for you. Yep. Uh, perpetually on my want list, that album. So hopefully come across in the wild soon. But yeah, go check out Little Late Enough and definitely check out DLR band. So after this, I'm sure it's very much, I'm sure the label is going, okay, Dave, what are you going to do now? Because you put a lot into that record and not we didn't get a lot out of it. So Dave, being Dave, probably does what to us seems confusing, but is the most Dave thing that you can do is he gets Niall Rogers to, as his producer. And on March 8th, 1984, we got probably the other album I'm the most excited to talk about tonight. Your filthy little mouth. album uh 
in the in the David Lee Roth catalog. I can't call it a favorite, but it is interesting and rewarding to listen to in a way just because there's so much going on here. Uh, you've got the producer of Chic, the disco band Chic. Now, now Rogers, you've got him producing for David Lee Roth, and that produces an album that's all over the map. You've got, you've definitely got some hard rock on here, like She's My Machine and Your Filthy Little Mouth and Big Train. Like that sounds like the Dave you know, but there's a lot of stuff on here that is very, very left field, and because of that, this album did not quite perform as well as the other ones. Did you get this one when it came out? Uh, absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> not only did I not get this record when it came out, but I was like, uh, no thanks. I, I passed so hard on this. And, and uh, you know, there were, there were several, uh, I mean, how much time um, went in between a little ain't enough and filthy little mouth it was like three years and three years from 91 to 94 that's a lot of time yep. uh at at that time with music so i know i in fact i'm not even sure i knew about this record until much later like years later afterwards i was like what day put another record out <laughs> what's that <laughs> called and and this is it the Niles Rogers thing, I mean, again, if you've read any of the books or uh, got any into any of Dave Roth's history, he's always been about dance and R&B. And, you know, he tried to drive Van Halen into, you know, doing James Brown covers and, and all kinds of stuff in the early days. Dave has always said, he likes to dance. He likes the crowds to dance. So getting Niles Rogers to produce his record sort of makes perfect sense, you know? Yeah, in, in a way it does, but I, I'm kind of surprised because this is one of my criticisms of the album. I think the production is kind of weak on here. Like, I feel like some of these songs almost sound like demos. Like, I love She's My Machine, but something about it kind of sounds unfinished well i've said it from day one thing i love about doing these little uh podcast episodes about either album reviews or going through stuff is it forces me to go do some homework and dig into things and re-listen to things that i probably haven't listened to ever or in years and out of the four records that we're talking about is it four or five it's uh, yeah four if we four or five if you count the EP. Yeah, so four records we're talking about plus the EP. This one was the one I knew the very least about. And I'm a Dave Roth Van Halen fan, but I really, really didn't know much about this record. I think when you asked me to do this episode, I told you that. I said, man, this record, I really don't know a ton about. But I dug into it. I mean, I spent the last several weeks listening to this record front to back just going through it going through it going through it and yeah i mean i'll agree with that it's not i would expect now rogers to have a little bit better production value but again this type of music isn't necessarily what Nile does true very true yeah i do think there's 
it is an interesting release like much like you could you could say with skyscraper it's comparable to that and there's stuff here there's stuff here that's fascinating like i love cheating hard cafe with travis tritt i think that song is great i didn't think dave could pull off a country tune but there you go rock on from there Okay, sure. Go with that. (laughs) (laughs) That's probably one of your low points. Um, I'm I'm gonna. I also love. uh, I love Big Train. I think that's great. That's a very Van Halen type of song. I think Your Filthy Little Mouth is very. I think it's very funny if you listen to the lyrics. Um, I like Experience. It's kind of another slower number, but my favorite is actually the closer. Uh, Not not the remix. Uh, Sunburn. almost like a jazz piece the dave's voice and his personality on it it just gives chills the way he sings that song you can kind of see what he's singing about like when he talks about at the end seeing the pigeons on the power line looking like notes on a paper like it's just so evocative and pretty and smoky like i really like sun sunburn i think that is a fantastic song but my low point is definitely no big ting um that that does not work. It does not work. <laughs> not a fan of the what is it reggae or it's a, whatever. It's, a, it's not even like if I just like reggae. I just that one didn't connect with me at all. 
Club reggae. <laughs> Club reggae, yeah. All right. Well, you want to know what I think of this record? <laughs> I do. I really do. <laughs> okay. I already told you I, I wasn't that familiar with this record at all. Uh, but in the last three weeks, I've really gone through it with a fine tooth comb. And there is some interesting stuff on here. And it's not as bad as I originally thought listening to it. I'll say that up front. Now, I'm going to go down a bit of a rabbit hole with some of this information. Uh, and just because I found it interesting myself, I want to share it. And I don't know how much you know or don't know about this. So feel free to jump in if you want. But this record primarily, we already talked about Nile Rodgers uh, producing it. But the majority of writing on this record along with Dave Roth, is a guy named Terry Kilgore. Are you familiar with who Terry Kilgore is? Only through this album, and from what I also read, he's a very big Van Halen fan. Well, so it goes much deeper than that. So Terry Kilgore and Ed Van Halen grew up together. Oh. Uh, they were friends, and I'm I'm talking about, you know, 15, 16, 14, 15, 16 year old Ed. So Terry and Ed grew up together and both were playing guitars. Both were great guitar players. Terry Kilgore early on was into um, this guitar player who had played with Can Heat. And forgive me, I don't know the guy's name. You can look it up. Um, I just don't recall what the guy's name is. But he was blown away by this guy so much that he was able to obtain the guy's number, called him up, went over to his house to take lessons from him. And apparently this guy, one of this guy's early trademark techniques was finger tapping. Oh. Okay. All right. So this guy was did some of the finger tapping. And I think it's been well documented that Ed's not the first guy to do finger tapping. Finger tapping was around before Ed just took it to a completely different level. Right. Yeah. So Terry went to this guy's house, took lessons from him, learned some of this finger tapping. And when Terry and De uh, Ed are hanging out, Terry was showing everybody this new technique that he had learned from the guy who was taking lessons from. So Eddie absorbed this, right? And oh. just went to town on it and perfected it. Basically took it to a whole nother level. So nobody's saying, hey, Ed stole this guy's licks or anything like that. I don't think anybody's saying that. I'm just saying that basically Ed was inspired by that sort of took in what was going on from the guy that Terry learned from and then Terry himself and then just perfected it, woodshed it, uh, you know, went to town and took it to a whole nother level. But Terry Kilgore and Ed Van Halen were very close uh, growing up together as kids. That's my understanding. So it's interesting that Dave Roth uh, comes together with Terry Kilgore for this record. Terry Kilgore plays a ton of the guitar on this record, along with Steve Hunter, and did the majority of the songwriting of this record with Dave Roth. So I felt like that was a very in 
interesting intersection. You can go out and watch the YouTube videos about Terry Kilgore and the story of tapping and all that other stuff. It's out there. It's public. Uh, I'm not telling anything that's not that's news breaking, basically, is what I'm saying. My favorite songs on this record, having revisited it, is She's My Machine or I Also Like a Little Luck. What is it, Ed, uh, David Lee Roth and Luck? He has a lot of luck themes going on. thought that it's kind of goofy but it's sort of fun everybody's got the monkey is a little bit of fun my least favorite you're gonna love this is either experience or sunburn i don't like (laughs) either one of those two tunes so i just i I listened to them several times and i was like yeah i don't like any of these tunes and i'll say one more thing my uh criticism is this this record is bloated and too long it's it's 55 56 minutes long and it's just bloated i think you could probably cut this record cut three maybe even four songs off this record and have a little bit better record in my opinion but that's just me yeah i i definitely agree with you it's it's got the 90s syndrome of being a very very long slog to listen to and then you yeah. throw in that remix at the end. I don't know if you listened to that, but yeah, I, d- I did. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I, I, th- I kind of thought your least favorite was going to be cheating heart cafe. <laughs> no, it's all right. I like Travis Tritt. You know, it's all good. I, I don't think it's that bad uh, as that stuff goes. No, it, it definitely wasn't. And I thought about the no big ting thing. And I was like, all right, well, whatever. It's it's club reggae music. I get it. Just another thing that Roth does, you know, he remixed Jump with the DJ, so why not, you know? I just think it's interesting. Like, the reason I, I like I say, I don't, I wouldn't call it one of my favorites, but the reason I listen to this one a lot is I'm just, I like to marvel at, like, all the different directions he finds himself going in even if I don't always enjoy it, like I know something next is going to come. It's going to be interesting. So I think just for me, it's an interesting, it's a fascinating listen. It's a fascinating time. Like I've always kind of fascinated like by these albums that have like, they're like the weird part in the artist's career 
when things are kind of you know screwy and like you know what's going to happen next and it's this is that era for dave he cuts his hair really short like i don't know if you've seen the music videos like he's got short blonde hair he doesn't have the long long hair anymore yeah and he's wearing like a suit now or like not really not a suit really uh he's wearing a vest he's not wearing spandex anymore he looks a lot more like a professional you know musician musician during this era so it's a strange time for him yeah which is basically what he's doing these days i mean (laughs) it's not that far off of what he's doing these days with some of the show tunes and stuff yeah i mean dave's like a uh dave's like an inner train entertaining train wreck you just can't really (laughs) away right i mean it's like you're always kind of hanging on the edge to see what's Dave going to do next. And I mean, I, I like him for that. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm not, I'm not saying that as a negative. I, I like it for that uh, thing. He's just, I mean, whenever he does an interview or whatever, I, I usually I'll listen to it just to hear what kind of crazy shit Dave comes up with. Cause he's just, he's so eccentric, but he's not, he doesn't come across dumb usually to me in any way. Like he, he come, he's just, I think he's a well read individual. Listen, what dude who was in the biggest rock band of all time at one point in time, what dude goes to school in New York to learn how to become an EMT and, and successfully passes that. I mean, that's just, don't tell me I he really needed the money. Bullshit. Give me a break. That is n- incorrect uh, on so many ways. And and even if he needed money, do you think that's the best way to get money is by going to school to become an EMT in New York City? Give me a break. That's just that's stupidity. Anybody that says that. I just think, like I said, he loves adventure. He loves learning new things. He loves trying new things like he's the mikey will try it kind of guy right yeah exactly i I just i think he's just an interesting individual and i would like to say that i would love to interview dave roth at some point in time but honestly i don't think i would love that because i don't think i could i don't think i could uh coat coattail him you know what I mean? Like, right. I don't think I would ever get a, a straight answer. I don't think I could ever ask a straight question and get a straight answer. And I think you would just, you know, he would come on the show and just, you would open up the valve and let him go and just yeah. listen. Yeah. He's definitely like, you just kind of like, you give him the forum and you just let, let nature take its course. With David yeah. I mean, I mean, like that, that should be an episode with, what five questions would you ask David Lee Roth if you were at dinner with him? Like, <laughs> you know, what five questions would you ask Dave Roth uh, if you were, you know, having dinner with him? I I don't know. You know, I'm not going to ask. What's your favorite Van Halen song? Yeah, no. You you, you want you want to go deep and you want to give him something that's going to challenge him a little bit. Yeah, and I, I mean, honestly, I just don't. I don't think that I could challenge David Lee Roth. I don't think I'm intellectually uh, fit enough to do that personally, just being honest. Well, Dave's on another wavelength. Um, yeah. That's for sure. Uh, 
but yeah, this comes out. Your Philly little mouth comes out. This doesn't even go gold. Um, <laughs> he's dropped by Warner Brothers. He does a tour for this album. That was, it was mostly this album and a few Van Halen songs kind of thrown in the mix. But the reason I chose to do the episode this way to kind of cover just those Warner Brothers albums and not do uh, the last two, there's the DLR band, like you mentioned, and uh, a covers album that the Diamond Day, that's what it's called. Um, as Which well. I've not, I've never even heard that. Yeah, me either. Um, is this to me, like, this is kind of like his last gasp of like doing something for the sake of maybe not being commercial, but like trying to like be an artist that's like active in the world of putting out like contemporary music in a way. His DLR band, I, I've never heard the whole album, but what I've heard, it's very much a throwback record type of thing. It wasn't what was hip at the time. It wasn't Dave trying a new sound. It was very much a just Dave doing a hard rock album. And then the covers thing, I'm sure, is just Dave trying to hand it some like 70s and 60s songs from what I can see from the track list. So this, this is kind of the end of an era. After this, uh, we there's a best of. He does his first Vegas show, which was not a hard rock show. He does this kind of like lounge thing where he does like, like he does California Girls and he does like a Steely Dan song and, you know, like loungy stuff, not like hard rock stuff. He does that. And then eventually in the late 90s, he goes back to playing the Van Halen songs and, you know, touring that way. And in 2007, he rejoins Van Halen. And that was kind of where he stayed. Now he's solo again after Eddie passed. And I think Dave is just continuing to have adventures these days. I don't know that we'll ever get a full album again. We'll get those sporadic singles like we talked about. But I think you put it perfectly. Dave is up for an adventure. And he's not just sitting at home right now like doing something. I'm, he's, he's probably climbing a mountain somewhere. <laughs> Yeah, I was really worried about Dave to the effect of when he when he was planning that big um like Las Vegas residency and then he canceled it and stuff. I I was kind of concerned uh because I think he retired at some point. Didn't he have like a retire thing and say I'm retiring, I'm not doing music or I'm not doing uh tours or live shows anymore or something like that. Yeah. Uh, I thought maybe there was a something medically wrong with Dave that he wasn't telling everybody. Uh, I was a little concerned for poor Dave. I thought we might, you know, we wake up one day and Dave might not be with us anymore. And I know he's had a lot of medical issues like with his knees and his back and all, you know, all those years of jumping off the riser and stuff like that. So I know he's had a lot of issues with that kind of stuff which is i mean that can that back issues can be uh you know just really rough on people yeah. um and so i i was a little bit concerned but now he's doing like all the you know crazy videos and the single songs mm -hmm. i think definitely he'll not be doing another album at all i think uh this is what you're going to get with dave i think he knows that the music landscape has changed and people digest music differently and they d digest the singles and not the full albums and so this is just something where if he wants to do a song he'll do a song and throw it out there and it is what it is and he reaps everything that comes in from it because he doesn't 
you know, he doesn't belong to a label or he's not in a contract uh, with anybody that he, he owes money to or anything like that. He just does what he does for his own pleasure. And just, he sees a hundred percent of the profit from that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. He's done one show this year. He did a corporate show this year that I was able to find some footage of and he looks fine. He, he was out there in a suit singing jump and you really got me. But uh, I, I think, yeah, I think he's kind of done with yeah. like, he, he's not going to go out and open for kiss again. <laughs> no, no. And he's what? How old is he? He's like seventy he's something, gotta, right? Yeah, he's got to be in his seventies. Let's let's Google that real quick. He's oh, he's actually sixty-eight. That's not bad. Oh, really? Okay. okay. Not, he hadn't hit seventy yet. Yep, October tenth, yep. nineteen fifty-four. Yeah, that actually makes sense because Sammy, I think, turned seventy a couple of years ago, and I know Sammy has some years on Dave because Sammy was around before Dave. Yeah. But yeah. Thank you so much for doing this, Stephen. I think to kind of wrap this up, Dave is a fascinating character. And there's a fascinating little world of David Lee Roth music that kind of exists outside of Van Halen. I think it's easy for it to get overshadowed because Van Halen, his run of Van Halen is so perfect and so solid that it's easy to forget that he did kind of have a life outside of Van Halen. So I wanted to shine a light on it. And thank you for doing that with me. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks for the invite, Alex. I really appreciate it. I know you, I give you crap when you come over on the podcast about the invites and stuff, and it's just having fun with you, but I really appreciate getting the invite, and I'm glad you decided to invite me on uh, for something that's near and dear to my heart, like Van Halen and DLR, and hopefully this uh, uh, was a good time and a good listen for your listeners, and I know I enjoyed it, so thanks again, once again. Absolutely. Uh, to wrap it all up, uh, plug plug the podcast, Growing Up Rock, a podcast that's near and dear to my heart. What, what you're working on and what's uh, what's going on over there? Well, hey, we put out uh, a couple episodes every week. We put out a main episode on uh, Sunday evening, and we have a little what we call the uh, Friday Quick Fix on Fridays, which is like a 15-minute dose of rock and roll, different themes. Myself and my co-host, Sonny Hollywood, Poonie. Uh, over at the Grown Up Rock podcast, we're going on our sixth year uh, here. So we're somewhere in the neighborhood of 320, 30 episodes uh, that are out there. And uh, yeah, everything's going good. We're over at Pantheon Podcast. And yeah, it's great. If you haven't listened to us, give us a listen. It's uh, G-R-O-W-I-N-U-P-R-O-C-K dot com grown up rock where you find your fine podcast you can find us yep all kinds of good episodes and you can even find me on a handful of episodes talking everything from aerosmith to def leppard to rod stewart this year so good stuff steven i love hanging out with you it's great to see you my friend till next time i'm the slide dog peace love rock and roll
Slide Dog Music Cast. If you want to know what's going on, follow me on Twitter at Slide Dog Music Cast or Facebook at Slide Dog Music Cast. Thanks again for listening. Peace, love, and music.